Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're beginning a new series today called Honest to God. For the next four weeks, we're going to examine the book of Psalms to learn how to pray through our pain, our fear, our mistakes, and the injustice we experience. Today, Pastor Nicole is going to dig into the pain that we suffer. We all have pain, be it physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. And as much as we may not like it, she's going to show us that God has a plan for our pain one that can do a good work in our lives. So let's get started today and begin our series, Honest to God. Well, hey, Happy New Year. I know we're technically two Sundays into the year, but um, I'm excited. Uh, It's 2023. I think we can all look forward to um, a clean slate, a fresh start. How many of you have accidentally written 2022 on something already? It takes me a while, but six months into the year, I'm like, oh, now I got to change it again. <laughs> you know, in six months, it takes me a while. But uh, maybe you've made some resolutions. How many of you would say you made a goal or a resolution this year? Just raise your hand. I want to ask you what it is. All right, a few of us. Some of you are like, I do that every year and it never happens, so I just forget it. Um, well, I want to encourage you. Maybe you have a a fitness goal, a health goal. A lot of people um, start out the year with that, which is good. Uh, Maybe it's a financial goal, an educational goal. I want to remind you this. Don't neglect a spiritual goal, okay? And maybe your spiritual goal was to be here today and you're here, so I want to applaud you for that. I'm really glad that you're here. I hope that you're blessed already uh, by what God is doing. But you are made of mind, body, and spirit, And so a lot of times uh, we work on our physical self, we work on our mind maybe, but we forget that we need to work on our spirit. You know, we can't stay the same as we journey on this road toward heaven. And if we aren't moving forward spiritually, then actually we're falling backwards. There is no neutral when it comes to spirituality. So if you don't feel like you're making steps forward, then you are likely sliding backwards. And so I want to make sure you make a spiritual goal. And so I want to share with you one of my spiritual goals this year. And I'm going to ask, um, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you if you'll do it with me. Okay. It's simple, but I really believe it will change your life. It will change my life. It will change our church's life. And it's really simple. Here's the goal I want to bring to us today in 2023. It's two words, pray more. Pray. In fact, will you say it out loud from your seat this morning? Pray more. Pray more. So in 2022, however much you prayed, pray more in 2023. You might say it wasn't very much, Pastor. I'm going to say that's okay. Then you you get to get ahead, right? You might have said it was a lot. I said, great, there's always more of God, right? He never ends. That well is never empty. And so whatever that looks like, commit to more. And we're going to start this year off with studying Psalms, which is a whole bunch of prayers. And we titled it Honest to God. And for the whole month of January, we're going to look at Psalms because I want to help you pray more. Okay, we're going to pray more together. Today, we're going to look at how to pray through pain. Next week, we're going to look about how to pray through fear. Uh, Then we're going to talk about mistakes. And then we're going to talk about injustice. And so I want to tell you with this series, we have a few um, really great opportunities this month that I want you to engage with. I'm asking for full participation. I want all of us to do this together. And so um, trust me, if we all do this together, 2023 will start off stronger. Okay, so if you're looking for a way to make this year better than last year, these are some things we can do. The first one, we're going to have a worship night, actually, to conclude this series on Sunday evening, January 29th. 
So mark your calendar, make plans to get here. We're going to worship, have extra worship together. We're going to have time to pray more together. Um, we'll also be doing a week of corporate fasting on January 16th through the 20th. Now next Sunday, I'm going to talk more about um, fasting and how to do it and, and what we're fasting for and all those things. But I want you to get prepared to engage together with this spiritual discipline. So that means I'm telling you now so that you can eat all the chips this week, okay? And then don't buy any more because you don't need them next week. So finish off all those, you know, Christmas cookies and things like that so that you can be ready to actually fast and do it well. All right, thirdly, <clears throat> we're going to do a Bible reading plan through the Bible app. So if you don't have the Bible app, I really encourage you to get it. This is a great um, thing that you can use right on your phone. Our good friends over at Grace Church, uh, they're masters at Bible reading plans. And so I called them up and we're going to do a reading plan that they created called School of Prayer. And so if you have never used the Bible app, check your bulletin. It has instructions. We have a website. We have all kinds of instructions you can get onto it. Um, you can also stop at the Next Step Center, and there'll be team members out there. They'd love to help you. It's just a couple clicks, and once you get there, and you can read through this Bible reading plan together. And what's awesome about that is when you see your friends from church, you can be like, hey, Regina, what would you think about the devotion today? And she'll know because she'll have read the same thing. All right? So I know that that's exciting. So let's make a resolution together today that in 2023... Erie First Assembly is going to pray more, okay? If you're with me, make a little bit of noise this morning. Get excited. Let's meet that goal. All right. All right, so today we're going to start by talking about um, praying through pain. So here's what we know about pain. Um, pain is no respecter of persons, right? Everyone has to deal with it. Sometimes it's physical pain. It's your back. It's your neck. It's your stomach. It's your teeth. I'll tell you what, as you get, it seems to increase as the front number of your age. You know, I hit these, this 40-year-old part, and I'm like, what is happening, right? Like things are, anyone out there testify, some of that physical pain kind of increases. A few weeks ago, this is a great story, Pastor Don, he was teaching our middle schoolers, and he asked each student, what is your hope and your dream for the future? And one of the students said, well, I don't want to live much past 50. And Pastor Don said, oh, well, why, why is that? And the boy said, well, when you get old, <laughs> you get back problems. And I don't want to deal with that. And Pastor Don said to me, remember when 50 felt really old? Like when you were 12 and you were like, when I get really old, like when I'm 50, I thought that was great. Another kind of pain, maybe physically you're doing okay, but another kind of pain is emotional pain, a heartbreak, a betrayal, a dream that didn't come into fruition, a, a disappointment, something that you just can't quite get your hands around, but it plagues us. You know, as Christians, we don't get to live a painless life. Often, I think, as Christ followers, we get frustrated or disappointed with our pain because we, because we have the wrong expectations for what living a Christ-centered life really is. Do you ever think that? 
Like, you're like, why is this happening to me? I shouldn't have this pain. I'm praying about it. Or I shouldn't have this pain. I'm living my life for the Lord. And we have these frustrations because we have the wrong expectations that living a Christ-centered life means we are pain-free. Now, listen, this isn't just a contemporary problem or an American church problem. I think it's prevalent in the American church, but it's not just an American church problem. In fact, in the earliest days of the church, people were surprised by their painful trials. They felt that pain didn't belong in the life of a person who had chosen to follow Jesus. Their expectations were shaped by the mistaken assumption that if there is a loving God, then we should experience a comfortable life. And if we aren't experiencing a comfortable life, then that must mean God isn't loving. Now, this might be a truth that you hold in your heart that is hard to admit. But we question the faithfulness and the lovingness of who God is when we experience something uncomfortable. Amen? We wonder. I want to read this to you. Peter writes this letter to these believers in Asia Minor, which is actually modern-day Turkey. This is what Peter says. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials. These trials make your partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Now, I know this sounds and feels pretty upside down, but Peter literally tells the Christians to thank God for their pain. To be glad for their pain. Don't answer this one out loud. But when's the last time you thanked God for the pain in your life? When's the last time you thanked God for the pain in your life? You see, the kingdom of God doesn't work the same way the world does. The kingdom of God is different, and we have to think different. So here's the thing. Pain is here. We all have it. How do we deal with it? Well, here's the thing. If we let it, pain can do a work in your life. If you let it, pain can do a work in your life. So David, he wrote this psalm. This is what we're going to study together under this idea of pain can do a work in your life. And in this prayer to God, David, he doesn't sugarcoat, placate, or ignore any kind of pain. He doesn't brush it under the rug. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. He doesn't say, well, I had it worse than you. He, he, he doesn't do any of that. And that's not what we're going to do either. We're going to come face to face with the fact that we're humans and we have pain. And it's physical, and it's emotional, and it's mental, and it's all these things. And we have it, and we're not going to be the Christians that pretend we don't. Okay? Amen? Are you all right with that? We have it. Here it is. Let's face it. Let's see what the scriptures say about it. So this is what David prays to the Lord, Psalm 22, 1 through 2. He says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Now listen, we don't know exactly what circumstance uh, that David is referring to when he's writing this. Uh, maybe it was when Saul had him pinned down in a cave and he had no way out. 
Uh, maybe it was a, a variety of other things that happened to David. But this is what we do know from the scripture. He feels alone. He feels forsaken. He feels like God has forgotten him. We know he's restless. We know he's anxious. And we know he is tired of waiting and tired of dealing with his pain. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in that very exact spot? Okay, so David isn't the only one in the scripture who prayed this prayer. You might recognize it. In fact, in, in David reveals the words of Jesus, uh, would, excuse me, David's not the only one in the scripture who prayed this exact prayer. In writing this, David reveals the words that Jesus would speak as he hung on the cross bearing the sin of the world. So you might recognize it because this is actually exactly what Jesus prayed when he was in the most painful moment of his life. I want to show you in Mark 15. It says this, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, now first, uh, let me point this out. You know, people over time, they argue um, that God's word or the consistency, the viability of it, they argue it. They say, well, we don't know if God's word is true or, or we don't know if we can trust it. But in this prophetic psalm, I just want to show this one example. David is recording the exact words that Jesus would pray 1,000 years before the crucifixion even occurred. Okay, the exact words. This is the God of all time. This is how he works. He can say, David, you're going to pray this prayer that Jesus himself, a thousand years from right now, is going to pray these exact same words. And so, yes, David is praying this psalm when he writes it in Psalm 22. But also, David is declaring prophetically what will happen to Jesus. And Psalm 22 becomes a fulfillment of the promises of God. Do you see that? Like in that moment, Jesus is praying scripture, the same scripture that David wrote down. And the Lord is bringing back circles of time and prophetic fulfillment with this prayer that David is praying. Another important thing we see Jesus, he's repeating the words, my God, my God. Okay, and in, in scripture, in literature, that repeti the repetition of words would greatly imply uh, just the intensity of the pain that he was experiencing on the cross. And, and David would, would repeat the words as well. And so this, my God, my God, this must have been just agonizing pain for both David and for Jesus. And as I was reading uh, this psalm and, and just asking the Lord for um, insight and wisdom for us as I was reading it, I thought it was interesting, you know, we can't hear, uh, there's no recording of David's voice praying this prayer, Jesus, Jesus praying this prayer, but, but what if we could hear it? And I wonder if the inflection on the psalm is something even more profound than the words itself. Perhaps they prayed it like this, my God, my God, why have you left me? Me. I mean, Jesus must have thought, I am your son. I'm your only son. David must have thought, I am the one that you said was a man after your own heart. Why me? Like there's a lot of other people out there who aren't getting it right. 
Of all the people on the planet, why is this happening to me? Others might deserve it. Others might have it coming, but why me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wanted to ask God that question? Maybe, maybe you've wanted to ask God that question, but you never felt like you could. God, why am I dealing with this struggle? Why am I dealing with this pain? Why is this something that I have to deal with? Why me? It's interesting because if we ever needed a moment in Scripture to illustrate that pain has a purpose or that God can do a work in your pain, this is the most just life-changing, epic, unarguable moment because Jesus, he had known great pain and suffering, right, both, both physical and emotional during his life, yet he had never known separation or alienation from God his Father, Okay, so track with me here. He was always connected to God. He lived a, a, a perfect, sinless life in, in the body of flesh. He enjoyed continued fellowship with the Father. He never did anything that broke his connection with God. And so at this moment on the cross, when Jesus prays and, and, and says out loud, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, Jesus is experiencing something he had never yet experienced. On the cross... Jesus bore the sin of humanity. Like um, the word that Steph shared earlier. On the cross, Jesus thought of you and of me and of every human that ever lived, past, present, or future, and he suffered the judgment of God in our place. And so for that moment in time, God could not look at sin because God is perfectly holy. God could not look at sin. And so God had no choice but to turn his back looking away from Christ. So in this moment, when Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the literal moment in time. It was a holy transaction when God himself, for the first time ever and the last time ever in, in, in you know, the future, he turned his back from Jesus and he literally forsaked the Son of God on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes it like this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so for the first time in eternal time, Jesus experienced separation from the Father. And no doubt this created the worst suffering, the worst agony, uh, far greater than any physical pain that Jesus had experienced, far greater than any of that through the crucifixion and when he hung on the cross, far greater than any of that, this pain of God the Father breaking communion with him on our behalf was the moment that we see Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as horrible as that was, oh, don't miss this. As horrible as that was, this pain had a purpose. Like that pain had a purpose. Jesus was fulfilling God's good and loving, redemptive plan for all of humanity. And Jesus's pain, the pain that he was experiencing in that moment, was saving you and saving me forever. That was that pain. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Listen, if, if 
God used pain to do the most mighty salvation work in our lives. God can use your pain to do good work. God can use your pain. He has a plan for it. It is not wasted. It is not something that you just have to bear. God can do a work in your life. God has a plan for your pain. God has a plan for it. Let's look at Psalm 22 a little bit further here. So David, he describes some of the people um, that are causing him pain and some of the ways he feels during the pain. So now we're back to David. He's, he's writing the, the psalm as a prayer. And uh, I'm going to go down to verse 6. In Psalm 22, verse 6, he says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. So what we know from these two verses, David, he knows the pain of critics. Some of you know the pain of critics. He knows the pain of people in his life that tell him he can't do it, that discourage him, that make him feel less than. Um, he uses the word, I feel like a worm in my pain. I feel like a worm in my pain. Can anyone amen that today? You feel like a worm sometimes in your pain. I was thinking, maybe it's not a worm. Maybe it's another animal. Like you feel like a chicken, not in your pain, right? Like you just feel fearful. I have another example. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but like you feel like a donkey in your pain. You know what I mean? Like you just feel like you're really not maybe acting your best self. You feel like uh, uh, you're fearful. You just feel like a, you, you feel like a chicken. You feel like a worm. He's saying, listen, I feel like a worm. It is, I'm just small, and I'm little, and I'm squishy, right? And, and, I, and I just don't mean anything to anyone. And, and someone wouldn't even pick me up off the sidewalk if they saw me because I'm a worm. I feel like a worm when I'm dealing with this pain. Now, I got to tell you, I, I just had to do more research on that because I thought, well, what in the world is this analogy? Lord, what do you mean? And you know, the Hebrew word for worm is used to describe an insect that devours plants. Yes, you have a pastor who Googles the Hebrew word for worm. Okay, this is what I do on Tuesdays. Just kidding. I don't Google it. Hello. Okay. I look in my books. Um, but here's a picture of it. This is the Hebrew word for worm in that psalm, this little bug. Now, what's fascinating is that this is the tola worm. In ancient times, there was a lot of them. And when you crush a tola worm, like when you step on it or, or you crush it, a reddish purple dye comes out of it. And this dye in ancient times was highly prized. It was used to color um, cloth used in the tabernacle. It was used for royalty. Okay, so track with me for a minute. Prophetically in Psalm 22, David is praying to God. And prophetically, Jesus is praying to God. Jesus is saying, I'm a worm. And this is foreshadowing the cross where Jesus would be crushed like a worm. And you know what happens when he's crushed like a worm, like the Tola worm? Red crimson comes out of him. And Jesus would be crushed for our iniquities. And the blood of Jesus, that word picture of the worm, the blood of Jesus would then cover all of our sin. 
And so when David says, Lord, I feel like I'm a worm, he's probably writing it down thinking about a little tola worm uh, on the tree. But when Jesus is repraying this a thousand years later, he is prophetically foreshadowing the fact in Psalm Isaiah 1, 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Thank you, Jesus. That little worm word, that means more than it did. And, 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 and what we're watching here is there's this redemptive truth found in just one word in Psalm 22. I feel like a worm. And the Lord says, I'm going to redeem that. Because even worms that are crushed and crimson comes out, I can use the pain. I have a plan for the pain. David, he, he keeps describing his pain. He keeps describing a picture of his pain. Um, he says in verse 12 and 13, I feel like many bulls surround me. Lions tear at me with their mouths wide open. In verse 14, he says his heart feels like it's turned to wax. In verse 17, he says he feels like people are staring or gloating and all his bones or weaknesses are on display. Those are also all foreshadowing what would happen at the cross. Do you see the parallels? Uh, David's writing this. He has no idea what is going to happen a thousand years when he's not even around. But that's exactly what's prophetically being fulfilled when Jesus is on the cross. People are, are mocking him, right? They're surrounding him. They're tearing at his clothes. They're calling him names. Now, this also reminded me of a passage in the New Testament I want to look at briefly this morning uh, when Paul was talking about his own pain. In 2 Corinthians 12, um, he says there's a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know exactly if that's physical, emotional, spiritual. Um, there are many theories and perspectives on that thorn, and that'll be another sermon. But what we do know is whatever it is, he doesn't want it. Okay, we know that for sure. Whatever it is, he doesn't want it. And um, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here we see Paul, uh, basically, instead of continuing to ask God to remove the splinter, Paul says, okay, well... If it's not going away, then use it. If it's not going away, God, if you're not going to take it away from me, then use it. Do a work in my life that only pain can do. And I think coming into 2023, some of you need to shift your prayer. Is that if that's not going to change, then use it. God, would you use it? Would you use that pain in my life to do whatever you want to do? Use that pain to do the work in my life that only you can do. You know, there's wisdom in this scripture that there is a dimension of power that works best in weakness. Now, listen, I don't understand it. I don't even like it. But, but we, we, we don't understand as humans often how the natural world works. But there is a dimension of power that works best in weakness. There are some things only God can do when we are weak. 
There are some things only God can do when we are weak. And the weaker we get, the stronger he is. The lower we get, the higher he can get. Paul has this revelation from heaven that the way to be brought high is to be made low. And so instead of boasting about our strengths, we can be confident in our weakness of our pain. We don't have to hate our pain. We don't have to be at war with our pain all the time. Because God's grace lives in that weakness. God's grace lives in that pain. God's grace thrives in that painful moment, in that painful environment. We don't have to hate or be at war with our pain. And so when Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Okay, so I looked into that word rest. What does that mean, right? What does it mean to rest, God's power to rest on me? And this is, in the ancient language, the, the Greek for rest is episkenu, which is the root word for, get ready, you ready? If I had a drum roll, I would do it. It's the root word for tabernacle. Okay, so wait. So this is what this means. The tabernacle was a portable temple in which God's presence was held. So Paul is saying this, the weaknesses of sinners attract the power of God. So what that means is where my pain is, is where God's presence is. Where my pain is, is a tabernacle for God's presence. God's power does not operate exactly the way that we expect. But the scripture says, I will have weaknesses so that the power of God can rest in me. I will not boast in my strengths. The weaknesses of sinners attract the power of God. So, so you say all the time, you know, like, I'm not good enough to do that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't have the, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the, the expertise. I don't have the, the um, relational uh, capacity. I don't have uh, the qualifications. And God says, oh, yeah, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Because that's where the tabernacle of God rests. You can rest in me, and there will be my tabernacle, and I'll fill it with the Holy Spirit, and then your weaknesses will become strength. Your pain will have a purpose. And our pain becomes a tabernacle for God's glory. Okay, so now this all makes so much more sense. Let's go back to Peter when he says, thank God for your pain. Well, why? Because pain is a tabernacle for God's glory. So God, thank you. Thank you for this moment where a tabernacle can be built in my life and your glory can be on display. All right, so Psalm 22 ends like this. I think I'm more excited about this than you guys, but I'll just give you a pass. It's the first week of the series. Even though David, he's experienced all this pain, okay? Psalm 22, I'm gonna read it to you, verse 27. And the worship team is gonna come back as well. It says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. And all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. That's how Psalm 22 ends. 
And in this prayer to God, David is realizing this. We sang it this morning. In the end, all pain is turned to victory. In the end, all pain is turned to victory. He can endure, David can endure and pray through pain because the Lord rules over the nations. Because at the end of the day, no matter how tough life gets, God rules and God reigns. And Jesus, in his deepest pain, foretold in this psalm, still declares the confidence and the authority he has in God's power. One day, this, this is a terrible moment in the life of Christ, but one day, Jesus will reign over all, in all the nations. And, and that promise will not come up short. That promise is still coming. And that one day, Jesus will rule all over the nations. In fact, uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's how we're going to end today. We're going to take communion together. So I want you to get your elements. If you, if you didn't get them on the way in, they're on the tables in the back. You can sneak back or raise your hand. A, an usher would be glad to help you, I'm sure. But as we do this, we are remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. And in his suffering and death for us, Christ redeemed and turned it into a pathway of life. Today, before we take communion, I want you to hear this one more time. God has a plan for your pain. God has a plan for your pain. God has a plan for your pain, and God can use pain to do a work in your life. The pain can be a doorway in which we enter into communion with Christ today. You might say, I'm in too much pain. I feel too far from God. I, I, I don't know how to get things right. You know what? If you're a believer in Jesus today, God says this communion, can you can admit I'm in pain. God, use my pain. And this communion, these elements can help you get back on track. It can be help you be a tabernacle for God's glory. And so would you take the bread and the cup this morning? And when we look at these elements, we remember... We pause and, and we reflect. That's what, that's what we're supposed to do. This is in remembrance of what happened on the cross. It's in remembrance of what we read about today in Psalm 22. We're remembering that moment. And first, today, I want you to think, just take a moment. I want to be quiet all across the room today. And I want you to think about your own pain. What is causing you heartache? What, what physical or emotional thing is, is painful? What sin do you need to ask forgiveness for right now? And I just want you to acknowledge it to the Lord, whether it's a sin, whether it's pain in your life, just right now between you and the Lord, I just want you to have that conversation about the pain that you're experiencing. So do that now. you to think about the pain that Jesus suffered. Maybe you know a lot about uh, the crucifixion. Maybe you don't know much, but whatever you know about it, I want you to picture 
his body on the cross. I want you to picture his blood poured out. I want you to picture the moment I described today of when God the Father turned his back on him just for a moment on our behalf. As much as you can, I want you to just picture and think about the agony in which he suffered and died. Okay, now as you're ready, would you take the bread? I want you to remember this as a symbol of his body broken for you. Go ahead and eat the bread together. take the cup. Remember, this is a symbol of his blood shed for you. And drink the cup. Thank you, Jesus. a purpose and thank you that that purpose and that plan was to save my soul and everyone in this room God thank you that you died on a cross thinking about the redemption of us and thank you for letting that pain have purpose We receive it freely. We don't deserve your grace. We know we could never earn it, but God, we receive it from you. We thank you for your forgiveness. God, would you change us today knowing this truth? It's in your name I pray. Would you stand up? I wanna sing this song together. It says nothing but the blood of Jesus.
says he has done it did you know that in Hebrew that's translated it is finished do you remember who said those words just before he died Jesus cried out it is finished and Psalm 22 ends the way it starts quoting the very words of the coming King Jesus the Messiah he has done it it is finished. Pray through your pain to the victory. It is the privilege of my life to be your pastor. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Area First Podcast. Please give us a rating on your podcast app, subscribe so you never miss a message, and share it with your friends. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.